Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of Waffle Happy Hour, Michael Tup. Derek, we are back in our home studio, thirsty, which is good because we got a solid guest. Uh, we'll start with introductions, titles, names if they exist, and then uh, we'll dive into all things you, man. All right. Um, I'm Mike Lane. I'm the face behind Greenlight Brewing. So how did this whole thing start? So back when I was in the Army, uh, I fell in love with beer and brewing and craft beer. Um and then one day, I decided I'm going to start homebrewing. So I bought a one-gallon kit from Crafted Brew is what it was called. Made the kit, fell in love with it, started, kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. Gave it to all my friends in the barracks, and they were all like, you know, keep doing it. So I kept doing it. One day, we were on a C-130. We were about to do a jump, and my, one of my good friends, his name's Cole, looked at me and said, Big Mike, Greenlight Brewing. And I got out of the Army, and I was like, I want to keep brewing. I want to keep doing this stuff. So for fun, I just made this Instagram. I didn't know what to call it. At first, I was thinking about Buffalo-related names like Good Neighbor Brewing, all that kind of stuff. Like, I was born and raised in Buffalo. Let's keep it Buffalo-related. It had no attachment to me whatsoever. So I figured, let's go Greenlight Brewing Company. You know, it has attachment to me. Mm-hmm. is what I just did for five years. And uh, it stuck. So That's awesome. Yeah. Are you a South Towns dude or a North Towns dude? Grew up in Lockport. Oh. Yeah. So heavy North Towns. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, it's different. Because it's not, it's not the North Towns. You know what I mean? Like the, what everyone thinks of it as. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So when... Um, Why so, did he say Greenlight Brewing? So, Just because? So when you're a paratrooper and you're jumping fair. out of a plane, right, there's, well, there's two different kinds of planes. There's a C-17 and a C-130. That you see them flying. Well, you used to. You don't see them anymore flying over here. But uh, C-130, there's two lights. There's a red light and a green light. And a C-17, there's a red light, amber light, green light. Red light means there's no jumping right now. Doors aren't open or doors are open. Amber light on a C1, C17 means there's 30 seconds until the green light turns on. And green light turns on, that means you're jumping out of the plane. Mm-hmm. It's time to go. So and when it, green light turns on, the jump master will yell, green light, go. And he'll smack you in the butt. And you just start jumping out of the plane and everyone follows suit right behind you. Oh, sick. Okay. Yeah, so that's just kind of where it came from. It's like green light. So... That's sick. That's yeah. cool that there's a story behind it. Yeah. And it's not just like you were at a stoplight one time and you're like, I want it to be green. And then it turned green. Right. And you're like, all right, perfect. <laughs> no, no, there's no st- there's no red lights when you're in a C-130 unless you literally can't jump. Yeah. Well, yeah. I didn't know that. So it's yeah. pretty sick. Yeah. Did absolutely. you have other names in mind? I mean, you said you kind of wanted to have it Buffalo. Yeah. I just thought of like, like one of them was just good neighbor because, you yeah. know, we're known as the city of good neighbors. Yeah. So I was like, well, there's nothing else in a good neighbor. But that just didn't suck. And I didn't like it because it didn't have like so much attachment to me, you know, no. like I just spent five yeah. years jumping out of airplanes. So like, let's make it something that I, I enjoy doing and stuff. So I, I feel like, too, there's when people are creating names for any business they try to go down that buffalo route Mm -hmm. i mean we were guilty of this i mean we still are guilty we're literally called buffalo happy hour but (laughs) the 
it starts to get a little cliche after right. a while. It's like, do I really want to name myself after this the w- name? Because yeah. it's like it just seems like you're trying so hard to make it Buffalo centric mm-hmm. that it's just trying too hard. So we're renaming our podcast right now. Green? No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. I, but it's still it's kind of crazy. And do you feel the same? Yeah. Like, there's so many businesses that are just called like X. And it's Buffalo, and it's just like, okay, cool. There's nine businesses that currently battle over their naming rights because they wanted to go after the weather title. Right, Lake Effect. Yeah. I mean. It's ridiculous. Yeah. There's more to life. Yeah. Like, but it's it's easy because you can fit it for so many different business models. It right. just doesn't always, I don't know, it's crazy. Especially if you started it. You were the very first business in the area to say that, and then all of a sudden eight businesses are running up saying, like, well, I'm going to take a twist on the same thing it's got to be super aggravating right their legal team has to be like hating their lives but so where has it grown since then because that was how many years ago since you actually started Greenlight brewing so i started the instagram page like pretty short after i moved back to buffalo which was november of 2020 um and it started off just like just for fun like i just wanted to post pictures of like my beer that i was making at home and kind of like tracking like my progress of growing from kind of like a novice home brewer to like building up to an intermediate and advanced stage home brewer and next thing i know i i just started like getting follower after follower after follower and then i'm a huge history buff like world war ii history is like my thing i guess it's one of the things you have to be when you become an older guy i guess right so i was like okay let's make these beers into stories of like World War II history and people that you don't hear every day about. You didn't learn about these people in high school, middle school, anything in school. So I started finding these people to tell stories about or like battles in World War II to tell stories about. And I would try to attach that specific style of beer to either that person, that city, that battle, something like that. So like a Kolsch, I just did a Kolsch recently, which is from Cologne, Germany. And it was, there's a huge battle in Cologne, Germany in World War II and in Cologne, Germany, there was a cathedral that was the focus point of the battle. There was a German tank parked outside of the cathedral, so I called the beer the cathedral. And oh, I made okay. A Kolsch from Cologne, Germany. So I tried to make these attachments, and it turns out people loved that stuff. People loved the stories. They loved the history lessons they were getting. They loved that I was attaching a specific style of beer to this person who was born in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I was making a Scottish export. They, they loved that. They ate it up. So I just kind of ran with it and it kind of like just took me to like where I am now to where like I've made friends within the industry, mm-hmm. the actual, you know, professional brewing industry. I brew beers at professional scales with, uh, with Windy Brews and Spotted Octopus. Hell yeah. So it's just taken to that level now and uh, like I'm forever grateful and I'm surprised that this dude, this bum, you know, made this Instagram account and it's came into this. So. Yeah. What? Those those stories, do you just post this, like the actual story on Instagram when you post the beer? Or do yeah, you have so a website or anything like that? No, I always post the picture of the beer itself. My wonderful wife takes all the photos. Nice. And then I attach, I try to attach a photo of like that specific person or that specific city or whatever. I try to put a black and white photo. Or if I can find a colored one, I will mm-hmm. attach it with that picture too so that person can swipe on Instagram and see like, this is the beer. All right, that's the person that okay. just attached the beer. Yeah. That's would, awesome. Would you be able like it? If this does, first of all, are you planning on like actually becoming a brewer? We can get to it down the road, but I just want to know. I'd love to, yeah. but I think a lot of people don't under, they underestimate how much actual work it is, you know. Hundred percent. And financially, like it's just not within the picture right now. And I don't want to get myself into 
five hundred thousand dollars in debt. You know. Sure. But like I could see if you have your own label, like a sixteen ounce can, and putting that story yeah. on the can. I mean, that'd just be the selling point right there. Right. Because then, I love. I mean, part of our show is writing label branding because yeah. the the way that you're presented with your product, just will change your entire perspective on the actual product whether it's good or bad it's like at least i have this sweet can that mm-hmm. now is a conversation mm-hmm. piece so i could just see totally just being like a black and white theme can with the story on the side yeah. and it's just that's the selling point too and then the beer is good when you open it yeah so i actually one of the buddies that i brew with has a canning system at his house so i'm actually going to be brewing a beer soon it's my scottish export beer who's named after ronald spears who was uh eventually the commander of easy company from banner brothers um, I don't know if you guys have seen that series or not, but way too many times um, to count. Yeah, and I'm going to get a label made for it, and I'm just going to can the whole entire thing and make a bunch of six packs. That's sick. Yeah. What's the size of your system now? Uh, I brew three and a half gallons. I Damn. used to brew the five gallons, and it got it was just too much, and I was wasting too much beer because at the time I was the only per like it was just me drinking all the beer mm-hmm. and five gallons of beer. Like that takes a long time to get through by yourself, you know? <laughs> and I just kept wanting to brew beer to get better at it. And then, uh, I just kept dumping these beers and I was like, all right, like I'm just going to scale down. So I scaled down to three and a half gallons, which is perfect. Cause it's enough for me to drink myself enough for me to make a post about it enough to share with friends. And mm-hmm. then it's time to me to brew another beer. That's cool. So, yeah. So what did you bring today? So this beer here is uh, peach and apricot sour, but it's not like, it's like uh, sour sour, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's not like teeth enamel ripping sour, and it's not like froth sour that's like super thick. Peach and apricot sour. This is named after a woman named Virginia Hall, who was the most like notorious spy in World War II. Um, she like blew up bridges, she hunted down Nazis, all that kind of stuff. She did it with one leg. Damn. Yeah, it was pretty. She's pretty badass. <laughs> that's uh, so sick. cool. This beer here is kind of like the series I'm working on. It's called Heavy Drop. So in the airborne world for Army, there's these things called heavy drops. So it's when they load the back of a C-130 or C-17 with a howitzers or Humvees or ammo supply, MRE drops, anything like that. They open the back of the tailgate, and it slingshots right out of the back of the plane, and it's called a heavy drop. So I call it heavy drop because it's a hazy IPA. Heavy drop, hence the hops. Mm, sure. So and then this beer here is kind of a personal beer when i found out my wife was pregnant with our first child i said if it's a boy i want to make a big i mean like big like 10 percent plus like stout or whatever and just age it on like oak chips or something for until he's born mm-hmm. or if that was a girl i wanted to make like a saison and i wanted to put mixed fermentation so put some pretendomyces in it or something so i obviously had a girl so this is a saison uh pitched with saison yeast and then fermented for five days then I pitch what's called Britannomyces, which is a funky strain. It gives um, comes from England. Long story short, it's you can give off like a hay, horse leather, like all that kind of stuff. But if you do it right timing, you can get like really fruity, tropical, oh cool, uh, yeast vibes too. And and then I put chamomile flowers in here too. So I don't know if you ever had chamomile tea or anything mm-hmm. like that. But mm-hmm. same sense, I just put the flowers in there as well. So sure. It's kind of like a fun, like personal kind of beer, you know. That's sick. Yeah, that's awesome. And then it was. Conditioned on champagne yeast and stuff like that too, so it's it's like bubbly and whatnot. Yeah. So, are you traditionally educated in like? Did you go to school for brewing at all, or is this went, all just homebrew? I went to YouTube University. Oh yeah, love that. Same. I mean, it, you can learn anything on YouTube. You know, I just I sat in my barracks room in the army, and I on Saturdays and Sundays I would just watch hours and hours and hours and hours of how to brew beer, and these guys on brewing beer and like learning it and stuff like that. And then we had a. In North Carolina, we had a store called Grapes and Hops, 
it was a wine store, beer store, and they had like you could make your own custom six packs and whatnot. And they would have it like sectioned off like stouts, IPA, sours, German, England, whatever kind of you know styles of beer. I just go there and on a Friday and I'd make custom six packs all the time and just try all these different styles of beer and find out what you like and what you don't like. So, That's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm clearly not in the industry. So when you go to a brewer, like yeah. a brewery, and want to become a brewer for them, like an assistant brewer or whatever, yeah. do you need credentials or no? Because like, to me, I'm trying to figure out where the need for traditional schooling for yeah. brewing even exists anymore with YouTube. Because you can learn so much faster right. on YouTube, too. I think it helps. Okay. I know ECC had a program for a while where I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe they set you up with, like, uh, an internship. Okay. And I think they, I don't think they guarantee you a job afterwards with a brewery, but I think, like, like you get a job, you know? Sure. So you can go that route. I also think it's, like, a lot of who you know. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if I know someone and, like, okay, they know I'm, you know, brewing beer and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, like, I won't name the brewery, but a couple weeks ago I got offered an assistant brewing job. It was, like, an hour away. I'm not going to, you know, didn't take it. It's too far, but they'd messaged me on Instagram. Um obviously they see my stuff and they mm-hmm. liked it so so I, I don't know if that happens often or not or sure. if like headhunting happens you know if like someone from x brewing company wants to hire someone from y brewing company so yeah <clears throat> you said you worked with wendy yeah love those dudes yeah russ is a great guy yeah coach russ is yeah. a savage so he um when we were sitting down and going over everything with him he was he like started off hot about the dog he's like just watch out for the dog he's like just live your life the dog's just like blind it's going nuts he's like just just walk around it we're like okay we go inside he super great host and then come to find out he's low-key helped i don't know dozen plus people yeah. in the beer world yeah. with just anything possible from just quick tips through messages or mm-hmm. bringing them in and working with them so what was your experience there um because they i mean they got a great system and yeah. just an overall nice yeah. setup and flow what has that been like so when i announced that so when i i'm not brewing for spotted octopus anymore or anything like that i just got too busy with life mm-hmm. um but when i announced that i was like gonna start gypsy brewing there and you know i was gonna start brewing some beers for them uh, Russ had reached out to me and was like, hey, man, like, come out to the brewery. So I was like, all right. So my wife and I went on like a Friday night or whatever to the brewery. We started talking, got like a tour of the place. And he's like, hey, you know, um, every year for Veterans Day, we brew a, a beer called a Veterans Juice. And we use uh, Yakima, Yakima Chief Hops, comes out with this blend every year called Veterans Blend. And the pro- some of the proceeds go to like veterans organizations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, he bought these hops called Veterans Blend Hops. And he invited me out to brew the, the Pale Ale, I think it was. Um, for Veterans Day for them, so it was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. How many? You mentioned earlier about people don't realize the amount of work that actually goes behind right. it. How many hours were spent on that beer alone? I think I got there at eight a.m. and I didn't leave until like two p.m. And I only left that early because I had to go to a wedding. Mm-hmm. So I mean, he was probably there till five brewing. No kidding. Yeah, and I mean, you're sweating because it's it's hot in there. There's not really AC or fans going. There's it's boiling so. I mean, it's work, you know, yeah. digging out all those grains from the mash ton and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, so these beers, you want to try some? Sure. Which one do you guys want? I, to first? Doesn't matter to me. I just want to get some. Whatever makes get sense. A taste. Because yeah. I know if you start with like a sour, sometimes it ruins. It's almost like scotch. If you start with a scotch, you're like destroying your palate. So, so I don't think this. I think this one was perfect for a day like today. Okay. Like Let's a, just a hot. Ooh, good just carbonation. A hot, just a hot day outside. This yeah. is the perfect like crisp beer for it. So, down for that. For yourself too. Oh, yeah. And it's five percent alcohol too, so it's not like. It's a five percent because he's away from his mic. Yeah. Just so the the audience knows. It's not going to throw us on our back. 
<laughs> Thank you. I, I think I heard something on a show or something like that that if you dr- get drunk from beer, you plan or you more or less fall forward on your face. And if it's spirits, you fall backwards on the back of your head. Really? Yeah, I, th- I could have just made that up, but I'm pretty sure I heard that from somewhere. We should dive into that for a weekly episode. There should be a Patreon. You and I just get blitzed off of beer and spirits. <laughs> and, and then just stand up and <laughs> test the theory. So if you guys tested the theory, you guys are more spirits guys than I am. You tested the theory before. What's it, beer before liquor? Yeah. You've never been sicker. Have you guys tested that theory before? Yeah, I, I think when I have, it's been more like over a long period of time. So I'd have spirits in the more not more, whoa, easy. I mean, I'd your bachelor weekend early, was real early. That's true. Um, <laughs> and then beer, spirits before beer, you're in the clear. Yeah, beer before liquor. I am I probably have. I, I normally don't go too crazy and get sick unless I'm pounding beers. Because yeah. then I just feel so bloated and gross. But cheers, man. Thank cheers. you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely, dude. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever really gotten sick from that. Have you? Too much whiskey I've gotten sick on. Too much wine I've gotten sick on. Um, beer, I haven't gotten, like, anything crazy. Um, not going vertical. Going down, though, I definitely had problems with yeah. the next day after way too much beer. But that was, like, early college years. And then I realized that I didn't feel really good after a decent amount of beer. So then I just basically switched straight to whiskey. Yeah. And I feel totally fine and normal afterwards, which is weird. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. Everyone's different, really. So in the National Guard, do you guys have uh, dining ins and balls and stuff like that? Yeah. So do you, when you guys have your dining ins, do you guys do the grog? Things got wild. Yeah. So, but it's not it's not necessarily a norm. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So we did a, we did a, a dining. We did a we had an eighteen month at the Global Response Force uh, mission one time. So like a year and a half, like you're on call twenty four seven. And, uh, it's the most 80-second airborne thing ever. Yeah, it was just hell. It was horrible. <laughs> and after the 18 months, they threw a big party for us. They were like, we're done, you know. So there's just there's just grog. So there's rules of dining in in the Army, right? So you can't like go to the bathroom during certain times. You can't be on your phone. You can't have your hands in your pocket, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they had this big grog, and it's like, a, it's like a show, like literally like a, like a show of the pouring them in. I mean, they just take whiskey. They take rum. They take vodka. They pour it in this bowl, and they take sand from the drop zones. They pour it in there. They so put gross. gum in there. They put... Uh, a jump master put its knife in there, like a dirty knife in there and stuff like that. And you get called out. You got to take a ladle. You got to take a canteen cup. God. You're not waking up. You're not waking <laughs> up. <laughs> it's, I couldn't get my top button done off my my dress uniform. I was like, oh, my God. That's wild. Oh, jeez. We've done um, – we didn't put abnormal things like sand or a dirty knife in. But um, somebody dunked their boot once mm-hmm. and then – but no, like sand or anything like that. But diff- we've mixed different yeah. alcohols. I don't really know how many people actually know that that happened, though. That's like super low key, but I don't know. It's out there now, yeah. so screw it. And it was, yeah, it was in the cafeteria. What, what do you think of this? Because you're generally not a sour guy. What are, What are your thoughts? It's like pleasantly sour. It's it's like the right amount. It's not an airhead sour where it's like, and it makes you kink your neck. And then you got to go to the chiropractor because we're old now and yeah. you like can't do that. Mm-hmm. But it's um. It's refreshing. Yeah, like it's crisp. Yeah. Your your tongue senses sours, I believe, on the side of your tongue. Mm-hmm. I think that that's how like the anatomy of your tongue is. This initially, when you taste it, it just tastes like a fruited, um, like a Kolsch or a fruited yeah. lot, something like that, or fruited yeah. ale. You don't get the sour until like the back half mm-hmm. of your tongue, which I really enjoy because as soon as you put 
that sour like super front heavy then you start getting the entire viscousness of your tongue and you just feel gross yeah this is really good thanks this is very smooth this is what that's what i don't i don't brew this kind of style often until it's like summertime and then it's like like today 87 degrees outside you're working outside or something like that yeah just cut the lawn like a lot of people want like a pilsner or a colts like the lawnmower beers you know yeah but like this to me like it's just crisp it's got that little bit of tartness and it's a little fruity and it's light yeah it's super like it's oh, yeah. it's like a thin light, which is nice. Yeah. Nice job. Thanks. This is crazy. So, do you put like w- when you're adding the fruit in? Is it just puree? Like, who are you yeah. going to for that? So, you have options, right? As like a brewer, this is puree. This is there's a few companies that kind of make puree. I don't want to say specifically for brewing beer, but like the brewing beer websites, they are they're on there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to use those. Yeah. So this one's Oregon fruit purees. You can buy these at Wegmans and stuff like that. Um, but then people use real fruit. Uh, you have to be a little more careful with real fruit because it's got the like pesticides on it and all that kind of stuff and a lot of organisms and that could ruin the beer instantaneously, put mold on it and cause infections. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can use frozen fruit. Frozen fruit's pretty easy to work with because as, as it freezes, it's like sanitized already. Hmm. So you don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff. Um, or you can use extract, but I don't really like extract flavorings. I'm kind of like sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of pick out you know, if it's extract, like, right away. And I don't think extract flavoring, like, tastes very good to me. I'd rather, like, puree is just so, you just pour right into the beer, you know. Right. It's, it's so easy to use. So, you said this is peach? Peach and apricot. Peach and apricot. Yeah, I, I don't really taste the apricot, to be honest. Yeah. I taste more of the peach. Uh, I don't know if apricot puree is just not strong or, or, you know, what it is, but the peach really came out nice in this. So, where is that sour coming from, then? Because neither of those are sour. So, there's a few methods you can use to sour beer. You can go the real traditional method, which is using a yeast culture called yacto, lactobacillus. And that's like the traditional method, and that takes 18 months to make, you know, possibly. Damn. Yeah, it takes a long time. Uh, or you can use what's called kettle soldering, which is, means you pet pitch a yac- lactobacillus culture into your kettle, and you keep it at a certain temperature for a couple days. Uh, gets the pH that you want it to to bring it down to the sourness level, and then you boil it off, and then you pitch your regular yeast strain, your ale strain or whatever. And then recently, this company called Lalaman, they're a yeast company in Canada, they came out with this strain called Philly Sour. Uh, it's just like a regular strain. It, it sours the beer first, and then it ferments the beer. And it doesn't, like, you use that lactobacillus strain normally, it, you have to, like, you have to either throw out that equipment or mm-hmm. you have to keep your stuff really clean because it can infect your entire brewery really quickly, and then you're going to have all sour beer. So this Jeez. Philly Sour doesn't, cause infections or anything like that you can just pitch it and just like a regular strain so that's so they basically pureed souring beer yeah pretty much so like this is just philly sour yeast and it's oh really yeah it just sours the beer first and then it ferments it like a normal ale yeah so do they make new yeast strains all the time all the time yeah it's got to be so complicated to figure out what you want to use in your brew so what they're doing now is there's a few yeast companies uh one of them's called like omega yeast what they're doing is they're creating like these hybrid strains um and they're putting like two strains together and basically uh, mating them i guess you could say and they're creating these really like uh precursor strains to make aromas the hazy ipa mm-hmm. world like new england ipa is what started all this uh just making strains make hops be more pronounced and whatnot so it is pretty cool it's way above my head to be honest but yeah but it works yeah so you got a three and a half gallon system where where is your system like did you build out like a designated area yeah so 
first I started off in my barracks on my stovetop. Yep. <laughs> Hell yeah. Moved moved to an apartment in North Carolina, moved to my stovetop, moved back home, bought an electric system in Buffalo. You brewed in the kitchen there. Then we bought a house last year, my wife and I did, and then I kind of took over like a section of the basement. Nice. So, okay. Yeah. So, but like that has to be outfitted for all that stuff, right? Like you can't just like move stuff in your basement, or can you? Uh, you can, yeah. I mean, everything that I that I use is runs off like 120, 120 volts, oh, okay. so it's like regular outlets and stuff like that. You can make it two hundred forty volts if you want to, but and then the, the only like real big modification I had to do was because I'm brewing inside and there's so much steam from like a boil and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had to buy this thing called a steam condenser, so you kind of just hook it up to a hose and. A, uh, shoves in cold water and the boiling water comes out of the top and it shoots into a bucket so it's you're just essentially pushing the steam down into a bucket for you so you don't have to worry about steam at all sure yeah wow that's sweet yeah so you don't have to worry about mold or mildew or anything like that what's your focus on water and like where what water you use to brew and mm-hmm. and all that so i actually used to just buy uh, one gallon um a bunch of one-gallon jugs from distilled water <laughs> from Tops because it, distilled water starts at zero. There's no minerals in it, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I would build a water profile based off that. And then I realized, well, that's kind of getting expensive. And then I just realized those, like, five-gallon jugs that you can buy to put into, like, those machines that you yeah. see at office buildings, that's reverse osmosis water, which is, like, the cleanest water you can buy. So I just started buying those. And then if you take the empty return back to, like, Tops or Wegmans, you get the next five gallons for cheaper, so... Oh, sweet. Yeah, just do it that way. I didn't know if that was reverse osmosis water. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So I, just... I Googled it before I bought it. I made sure it was <laughs> yeah. like clean water. That's awesome. Yeah. I did not know that. No, That's we, really cool. Yeah, we should get one of those. Yeah, right. Well, because we have a little reverse osmosis dropper for our whiskey when we dilute it down to get it to taste different. Yeah. But I had no idea that at least you're not using tap water. No, I started using tap water because if you like start... This is one of the things that bothers me about like brewing beer brewing books and stuff like that, is they tell you initially like you can use whatever water you want to make good beer as long as the water's good enough to drink you can make good beer with it. That's it's totally not true at all. It's the furthest thing from the truth. <laughs> water is like ninety nine percent of the beer. Right. You right. Know, there's so much of it. Like if I don't have good drinking water, like it's not going to be a good beer whatsoever. So. And then they just released that study that was like tap water has long-term effects for like 94% of the population because it's got trace amounts of all this like craziness inside of it and it's like nationwide yeah now I was like, is, well, whatever I'm still company, drinking out of the hose so I don't care there's a company called Ward Labs um, they have like a home brewing section where you can like send in a little file of your tap water from your home or your city or whatever and get it tested and they'll they'll tell you like what the mineral count is in your water oh cool and you can put it into like brewing software and stuff like that and edit it that way but I'm not even going to bother. Yeah, it's too much work. Right, and who knows how often, like, I live in Tonawanda, so who knows how often the town of Tonawanda's Tonawanda's water fluctuates. Right. It it could change from monthly, you know, or seasonally or something like that, so I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Because then you'll you'll lose the consistency, too. Right. And that's a big part of beer is, like, if somebody gets that sour, they want it that same exact way if they like it. Right. Yeah, it's got to be tough. So from that perspective of making it consistent, do you have all your recipes written down in a book and all that? Like, how if you were to brew that again, mm-hmm. would it taste basically the exact same? Hopefully. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, that's the goal. I think, like, a, it would probably change a little bit. I mean, a, a, like, a lot of the things is hops. Hops change from crop to crop. Mm-hmm. Like, one year, like, one of the most popular hops is Citra. 
uh, 20, like let's say 2023 crop of Citra, it might be like super orange, tangerine, uh, clementine, like super citrus, super good. Like next year's might be total trash. <laughs> it might not even be like orange at all. So that beer might have to change a little bit. So it might not typically be like the same beer every time. Sure. Uh, but it can be pretty close, yeah. Like I don't know if you guys ever heard of the Alchemist Brewing uh, before. He's kind of the one who started like the whole hazy New England IPA trend oh, okay. uh, with a beer called Hetty Topper. Yep. In he, Vermont or something like that? Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. He yeah. even said that he's like, this beer is going to change every year because of the hop, the hops. They're going to, it's going to, some hops are going to be really good this year. Some hops are going to be really bad. <coughs> That's crazy because there's, when Budweiser, for example, makes a mistake, they dump beer. Yeah. But that's someone's like full-time job is to dump that bad beer. I wonder, and that's obviously an insane amount of money that's yeah. just going down the drain because their tanks are ginormous. But from the craft brewing scene here, I really want to know how much they actually waste or like what happens when there is a legitimate amount of waste. But I feel like they're so regimented on everything that they almost don't have that accident. But like, I don't know, someone like Resurgence, yeah. like what happens? Well, to me, I think that like with the craft scene, if it tastes different, then you just call it something different. And, like, instead of it being this, now it's, th- like, that might have been, yeah. I have no idea if this is true, but that might have been how Dayburner came after Hayburner. Like, they did Hayburner, and they're like, hey, this doesn't taste right. Let's make it Dayburner. That's just an example. I don't know if that's true. But, like, that's what I'm thinking is they just are, like, it's something different mm-hmm. now. So one of my favorite breweries of all time, uh, they're in Asheville, North Carolina, called Burial Beer Company. If you guys ever get a chance to go out there, highly recommend these guys, whatever. Awesome beer, awesome scene, awesome culture around there. It's just great all around. They made a post a few years back, and it stuck with me. And it was it's this big brewery. I mean, they're well-known. They've won numerous awards. Mm-hmm. They've won, like, best small brewery in the country a few times. So they, they know what they're doing. Uh, they posted a picture of them dumping out, like, a whole fermenter, like 10 barrels worth, which is it's, it's a lot of beer. That's hundreds of gallons mm-hmm. of beer. They dumped it all, and they said, good brewers dump that beer. And, like, that's kind of, like, been my motto. Like, even if I'm at home and it's not good to me, I'm dumping it. Sure. You know, it's why why – why just waste a keg and my CO2 on it if I'm, if I'm not even going to drink it, if it's not yeah. good? Like, I have a beer at home now. I made a Belgian triple, and I put honey in it. Uh, try to replicate, like, the new Belgium uh, honey triple, if you guys ever mm-hmm. had that before. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's not good. It's super, like, medicinal flavoring. The honey's way too strong. I'm dumping it. You know, it's just taking up space and wasting CO2. Yeah. There's just no point in it. I'm not going to drink it. I think there's a difference, though, between, like, it coming out bad and it just coming out different, though, mm-hmm. right? Like, if it came out, if that came out, good but it didn't taste like what you were doing i would probably just label that something else right like yeah. would you still dump that i guess if it's still palatable yeah maybe not right but if it's not palatable at all and it's just like okay this is gross yeah and you're just adding more hops to <laughs> right cover to it up yeah, yeah i got gotcha. you I'm, yeah. I'm gonna dump it and even like that burial beer company they said in a podcast uh in order for a beer to get canned and put on uh tap there the two owners have to pass it Oh, okay. Like That's they, cool. Like they're kind of like the what's it, quality? Yeah, quality, quality control, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, quality assurance. That's wild. Yeah. But I mean, good if, for them though. But yeah. if you want to be well known and you want to like, like, okay, they they, they make good beer all yeah. the time. Like you got to do what you got to do, you know. And if it, you know, if you, if you have to take in fifteen thousand dollars on that beer, like, sucks, yeah, you right. know. But like, I guess the way like, I don't want your name to be changed differently because of one bad beer, you know. Like mm-hmm. that could change. You know, like one bad Yelp review could change the path of the entire business. Sure. Like imagine one bad. I mean, I don't know how bad Untapped reviews could be. You know, but are you on Untapped? No. No. You don't do your own reviews. No. <laughs> They're just internal. Yeah. Yeah. Internal this, this reviews. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Dumping it. Yep. 
Yeah, that's, that's, awesome. that's crazy. So for what was the first beer you ever made? First beer I ever made was a actually a New England IPA. It was an extract kit. It was like one gallon extract kit. I think it was like Citra, like Mosaic, Galaxy Hops or something. It was whatever came in the kit. So it was, it was pretty cool. Did it come out good? I Probably not. And my friends all just said it was really good because they were getting free beer and they're in the Army and they just wanted to get drunk. So, <laughs> so. These these kits, who, who makes them? And, like, that has to also vary, though, right? Like, can you just buy a kit for it and it just comes out the same? I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't brewed a kit like since twenty eighteen. So I, I yeah. I, I mean maybe I'll try that and see what happens. You know, buy two of the same kits and brew them both at the same time and see yeah. what happens. Uh, but I'd imagine it's pretty consistent. Like the kits, the extract kits, they're pretty simple. You just like bring up some boiling water and you put the extract in. And you pretty much have beer. Yeah, you, it's like it's like ten step instructions. It's super easy. So that's what's got you hooked is just doing that one, and then you're like, I can try something else. Did you go from a New England to something else, or did you try another New England yourself? So it was actually kind of funny. So it, when I lived in North Carolina, I was in the Army. There's this place called Southern Pines Growler Company, and it's just a really cool place, huge, like, bars, like, 20 taps. It's like a bottle shop, too, and a small little homebrew store, too. It was, like, 35 minutes away from base, so I, I would go there all the time to buy beer and whatnot. And I remember I was talking to the one guy, and I told him I just started brewing beer, and he's like, all right, stay with extract. He goes, don't go all grain. He goes, it's just a different game. And I'm like, who are you talking to right now? <laughs> like, gonna, so I went out and I bought everything for all grain. And I tried all grain. He was right. Like, really? Totally different world. I, I brewed a beer that was supposed to be like 5%. It came out like 2%. Like, it was oh, just totally, shit. I didn't know what I was doing. So I went back to extract and then <laughs> started to learn more. And I was like, all right, I feel comfortable going all grain. So, Is it because you have to use more grain to increase the abv right yeah and then you have to factor in like water levels and stuff like that like you brew one of these extract kits they say fill your kettle up to one gallon and then you'll have one gallon inside your fermenter because you're not really like boiling it for 60 minutes like you traditionally with all grain for all grain like you have to have the right percentage for your mash to go in you know the right level and then that brings you to your boil level for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. If the boil level, if the boil level's too high or too low, like your OG, your original gravity of the beer is going to be either too low or too high because your water level is either too high or too low yeah and that'll just throw off everything so i had no idea what i was doing i didn't know about water level whatsoever so i threw one gallon of beer in because i wanted one gallon of beer and i ended up with like a half gallon of beer and like it's supposed to be like a 1050 original gravity it was like 1020 or something like that <laughs> so you're our third home brewer right that we've interviewed yeah third briar brothers crooked crooked and yeah and green light so when we talk to other breweries, it seems like they have a very tight knit community mm-hmm. within the brewery industry, but we haven't really talked to a lot of home brewers to see like one, what the community is amongst home brewers, and then two, what the perception of if you go into a brewery and say that you're a home brewer, mm-hmm. how do they react? Like, what is that community like? Are they like, oh, another home brewer, or is it actually like, oh, let's, what do you know? Right. So. There's actually a few of us from Buffalo on Instagram, like as like a, like a brewery kind of, you know. Um, I'm friends with like we're all friends, like, yeah. we're all cool and stuff like that. I trade beers with them all the time. 
good dudes. Like we're, I'm brewing a beer with one of them, I think next weekend or something like nice. that. Um, but the, going to the brewery and introduce, I've never done that. I don't think I have at least. Uh, we talked about it, but I, I personally, I think sometimes the professional brewers like kind of forget like where they came from. You know, like they all started mm-hmm. off as home brewers. You know, they started off as those annoying pesky like home brewers. You know, they probably went to the breweries too, and you know, said, "Oh, I'm a home brewer." Like you know, um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't think many of the brewers would stay you know, like at bar hour. Um, right. Sure. But uh, I'm sure some of them are real down to earth to talk to you about stuff. Um, like one of the biggest. A brewery that I used to uh, frequent often in North Carolina called Southern Pines Brewing. Um, the head brewer would sit at the bar all the time, and you would walk in and he would just chit chat with you, be down to earth. Uh, one of my actual like motivations to keep brewing because this dude was so cool, uh, and he would be like, "Hey, how's that beer taste?" Mm-hmm. You know, he would talk to you about it, and then I would show him a beer that I made. He'd be like, "I'll oh, try this next time." And he'd be like, "If you ever want to come in and see everything, like just let us know." Oh, that's right. Yeah. Damn. Super hospital. I imagine some breweries are like that, but I imagine some breweries are like, yeah rocks right you know? do you have you talk about windy brew but do you have a favorite brewery in the area or one that you try to make your beer base off of or do you just try to put your own spin on things yeah any inspiration from local i try to put my own spin on everything yep um i don't really have inspiration from local but like i'd say my top three favorite breweries in buffalo is 42 north if you put them under the buffalo realm i'm sure East aurora close enough right yeah yeah uh, Briar Brothers, uh, they're great dudes. Oh yeah, Joel. I mean, I'd I'd go there a few times, and he super down to earth, talks yeah. to me all the time. Great guy. Um, and I like Flying Bison. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never actually gone to the brewery itself, but like every time I go to Wegmans or something like that, if if I need beer at home, like Flying Bison, I know I'm always pretty good to get a good beer. It's so underrated, Flying Bison beer. Yeah. Because they just, they've been around forever. Their mm-hmm. beer has always been, like, really good. But they've never reached that, like, like upper level where everyone's talking about them. Like, there were a little bit when Rusty Chain first came out, everyone was kind of talking about it. Right. But then at that point, I think the craft brewery industry in Buffalo just exploded. Then everybody started talking about Big Ditch Resurgence and Thin Man. Like, there was just no transition for them. Yeah, they didn't have, like, the massive spike in fame. Yeah. But, I, I mean, who cares? Yeah, Cause they don't they're, care. they're never going away either. Yeah. I try to stick to, like, I'm not a hater of, like, hazy IPAs. Like, obviously, I brewed one here. Yeah. Right. But, like, I try to stick to, like, traditional kind of styles. Like, I'm a huge malt forward kind of guy. Like, mm. I love, like, Irish red ales. Hell yeah. Scottish ales. Like, stouts. I love all that kind of beer. Like, stouts is, like, really what got me, like, into I'm a huge coffee guy, too. So, like, mm-hmm. stouts and coffee goes hand in hand, you know? Yeah. So, like. I love stouts for that reason. So, like, I try to stick to those places who kind of brew, like, more of, like, my traditional kind of stuff. And 42 North does that literally all the time. Yeah, and they're, I mean, they're, like, mad scientists over yeah. there. They're great. They're great dudes. They were super nice when we worked with them. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Can we try that hazy one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm stoked for that. Yeah, me too. So, this one is a little bit beefier. It's 8%. Okay. Um, it was brewed with three different hops. Uh, CTZ in the boil, which stands for Columbus Tomahawk Zeus. Uh, it's just like three hops that they kind of like, don't quote me on this, they bred and they kind of made like one super hop. Um, and then every time I do this heavy drop series, I try to change up the Whirlpool dry hop to be the same two hops, but different hops every time. Sure. So this one's Sabro and Brew One, and they're supposed to give off a pineapple, coconut, like pina colada type of vibe. Did I hit that? I don't think so. Personally, <laughs> I don't know. I'll be honest, but... You know, I'm not gonna sit here and say my beer. You know, this beer is like perfect sure. for me. But 
That is interesting because in in the distillery world, you don't really buy. I mean, I guess you kind of can, but you don't buy wheat expecting a certain flavor profile, right? Like you're not buying something saying I'm totally going to get cherry off of this. But in the brewery world, you're buying yeast and it's saying I'm probably going to expect pineapple. So when you're when you're brewing and you taste test it, how much are you going off of the expected flavor that the yeast is, says that it should have versus how you actually think it tastes personally? Because you could potentially have, like, bad yeast. I take it with a grain of salt. Okay. You know, because at the end of the day, like, beer is a super subjective thing. Sure. Like, you might taste in this beer pineapple. You might taste uh, citrus orange. I might taste lime and lemon, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, it's a super subjective thing. So we all taste different stuff. Um, I try to take it like somewhat. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cheers every time. Cheers. Out of respect. There's uh, hours behind this. Yeah, a lot of hours. I, I try to take it with a grain of salt. You know, the one thing that's actually really hard that people don't think about is like making a hop combination. You know, like cause I could put citra with this. You know, let's say like uh, like saws or something like that, which is like a Czech hop. Like putting those two hops together in a hazy IPA is like it's not going to be good. So like trying to figure out like a hop combination that you want to play around with is actually super super hard. And that's yeah. kind of why I've stayed away from this for a while because hops can get pretty expensive after a while. No doubt. And if I'm dumping batch after batch of an IPA, it gets pretty pricey, and, and I don't want to do that. So. Oh yeah. This is really good. You like this one? Yeah, I like this more than the sour. This is like, I need this. Hmm. What are like, you getting? Are you getting the pineapple long, and coconut? Dude, or? I'm getting all the things, bro. I just, this beer is literally hitting this spot. Like, stressful week, manual labor, it's hot out, I'm exhausted, I just need a drink, <clears throat> pour this. Yeah. Like, to me, this would be the go-to in all of those situations. I feel like if you didn't tell me there was coconut in here, I wouldn't have yeah. guessed it. But now that you said that, I can kind of get a little bit on the back end. I so can taste some coconut. No yeah. Coconut in it. The hop well, that, the is, hop, yeah, coconut hop flavor, yeah. To bring off. And I'll tell you what, when I put this... So the hop that's good about the coconut's what we call the salt sabro. And when you put the hops in like the hot side of the beer, so like pre-fermentation when it's still hot hot in the kettle, you can smell like the second I put these hops in, it was just coconut. I was like, whoa! Like, it just smells like sunscreen. Oh yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> no, this this tastes really good. It's it got does. like a little skunky note to it too, which I I love skunky notes in beer. So when I kegged this beer at first, it was straight weed. Like it, oh, really? It, it smelled like I like, had Pineapple Express in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is kind of cool, but it's not supposed to taste <laughs> like this. <laughs> Tell your wife not to worry yeah, about it. Yeah. I, I like that skunky note, though. It's kind of got that like Stella Artois, like skunky mm-hmm. green bottle of beer. You know how much I love oh green bottle of beer. It doesn't stop but talking about green it's bottles. It's so good. It makes the beer taste skunky. Yeah. And I love that taste in beer, and it's kind of got that. Which, is this ever in a green bottle? Yeah, that's a good point. If it's green light brewing, if you had glass bottles outside of normal cans, would you have green bottles? I feel like you would have to. I never thought about that, but yeah, probably I would. Yeah. You would That'd have to. Cool. Yeah. Or like green cap or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's a straight black and white label, just have one green dot yeah. somewhere on it. So my wife, she was actually funny. She helps me out with all the posts and stuff like that, and, and she I, sometimes I'll ask her like, "Hey, like, you know, can you find a story for me to tell a beer about?" And she's like, you should just come out with a beer one day called Go. So it's literally just green light, Go. Mm-hmm. I was like, 
That'd maybe, be cool. maybe one day I will, but you know, haven't haven't decided to do that yet. That's what it tastes like. That's got to be the staple beer too. Probably just like a crispy lager, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm jumping out of an airplane, I want like a three percent like Czech Pilsner that I can just pound all day, you know. Yeah, I don't want right a nine percent double IPA. Right, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'll be spinning while I'm going down, and I'm yeah, the right way yeah. either. So we actually had this dude. So you have this tradition. It's called burying your jump wings. It's your final jump. You rip the wings off of mm. your chest and you bury them in the drop zone. Where, where right where you land. There's probably a million in all the drop zones. This one dude, he packed his entire rucksack full of PBR, and he landed, buried his wings, and he just started shotgunning PBRs right out of the drop zone. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yep. That's so sick. <laughs> are they still, um, when you got your wings, are they still doing blood wings? Or do they stop? Not supposed to. But, well, right. But, I mean, the jump masters at, jump, at airborne school gave you a nice little love tap, so. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's awesome. Because what... I think they stopped. They like announced that they weren't doing that anymore, yeah. right after. It was like a year and a half, two years after I left Benning, which it's not even called Benning anymore, but it's Benning forever. So just like Bragg's Bragg forever. It's not Liberty. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So for those that don't know, and for Derek, because um, I know you're going to be like, okay, well, what do you mean? Um, when you get pinned your your actual wings after you graduate airborne, like at graduation of airborne school. They used to do the same thing with rank as well. There's two metal prongs that penetrate your uniform, and then you have a dammit that goes behind and then clips it in, just like our, our pins for any lapel, except they leave the dammits off. And we call them a dammit because they always fall off, and then the first thing you say is dammit because then you can't actually keep the thing on. They punch it into you, and then each person follows suit. So if there's like four instructors for the class, each instructor would punch and then by the time you're done, you're literally bleeding because the prongs penetrated your skin. Well, someone complained, I don't know, Department of Labor, whatever, was like, hey, that's like hazing. <laughs> like, you can't, <laughs> you can't like make people bleed. We're just like, why? Like, do it harder. And it's just like, it was, I don't know, it's just like a pride, you know, uh, morale thing. Imagine like, it was good going, for you. Imagine going through airborne school and then complaining that you're bleeding because of a needle. So funny. This story. I'll never forget the story till day I die. I can't. Even, I can't make this up. Put my hand in the Bible. <laughs> very first jump at airborne school, like first time in the airplane. It's it's happening. You're jumping out of a plane. I, I was I was actually the first plane of the day, which I'm so glad for. Like that, I was the first plane. I was second pass of the drop zone, so I got to see the first pass jump out of the plane. Nice. So the very last jumper on the first pass. He was standing on the plane. So you stand up, you're hooked up, you got your static line, you're holding on to it. He's scared. He's very, very, which is understandable. I mean, you jump off an airplane. Yeah, right. He's, he's shaking. His face is totally pale and white. He looks like, I don't want to do this. We're like, man, you're already here. Like, yeah. just jump. He starts walking down. They yell, they yell, go. Everyone starts jumping. He walks down. He stops at the door. Jump masters rotated him, kicked him right out of the plane. Sayonara. He jumped. <laughs> Don't have a choice. Yep. <laughs> There's 60 people behind you. Yeah. Go, dude. Yeah, get out of here, bro. You're screwing up the timeline. Leave. I don't know if he knows, but we're flying. Yeah. Like, we don't have a lot of time. I'm not going to have little Snuffy start floating into a different town, and then we got to find him. <laughs> so how much control do you actually have with... I mean, the parachutes are from, like, 1926. So the, like, old-school OG green ones. So most people don't really realize it's literally just preventing you from dying. Yeah. Like, you don't have a lot of control from what I understand. So there's two kinds of parachutes. 
what we jumped with were called T11s. You don't really have too much control. I mean, you can like slow yourself down a little bit, but like you're not like guiding your way to the ground, you know. Then there's these ones called MT6s, which is like what special operations jumps with and stuff. Some some small units jump with them, but you have to be like specially trained on them and stuff. Yeah, I'm like they legit have toggles, and you can like control yourself on your way down and stuff like that. But T11s, whatever he paratrooper jumps with, like you're just landing like a sack of potatoes. And I love how the army is just like, oh yeah, this is you're fine. You got a parachute. It's like we're also going to add 420 pounds to you. Yeah. It's like go ahead and down jump. It's just like, well, hold on. Like I already have my rucksack. They're like, no, no, no. I have another one. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Do you recreationally jump still or no? No. Mm-hmm. How many How many times do you think you have jumped before? My jump log that I have when I got the army is 38. But there's probably like five or six that are not on that log, so I'd say well over forty. Yeah. Is airborne school on your log? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those five jumps count. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. There was um, Andy Stumpf. Is he's a he was a seal, got out, does a lot of stuff, and he still jumps, but he's he's certified in like a gajillion things, and he also does wingsuit. Yeah, he does that squirrel suit thing. Yeah, he does. He does wings. He's got a world record for wingsuit um, <clears throat> duration, like total miles covered, and. He said for the longest time he couldn't jump uh, civilian side because it wasn't safe. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, dude, you get out of the service and they're so strict on everything. It's like, oh, it's one mile an hour faster than we want the winds to be. Like, we're not jumping at all. Like, everyone's staying on the ground and you're just sitting there. And he's like, so they were just like, oh, yeah, like, we're fine. Like, just jump. And he's like, what about my checks? They're like, what do you mean? Like, there are no other checks. Like, you just leave the plane. He's like, dude, I'm, I'm skydiving. Like, we need some more checks. And for the longest time, he couldn't do it. Is that why you don't jump now? Or you just, I mean, beer's, you know, beer's your life. So is having a kid. But I think it's because I'm pretty fat, to be honest. <laughs> I just don't want, I landed so hard so many times. <laughs> My knees and my back are so destroyed. Like, I just don't want to live through that again. But the funny thing is, you asked me to do a static line jump with the homies again, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would get a 1,000 feet above the ground in a C-130 crammed up in there in August, dying of heat exhaustion. (laughs) I would do it in an absolute heartbeat with the friends. That's amazing. And it's funny you say about wind. So when you're jumping, right, the Air Force flies you. Air Force controls the plane for a while, and then when you get close to the drop zone, Air Force will announce Army, it's your door, Army takes over, it's our plane at that point. There's a guy, his name's DZSO, drop zone safety officer, he's got this wind machine, it's testing how many knots are going in the wind, he relays it up to the pilot, pilot relays it to the crew chief, crew chief relays it to the jump master, jump master relays it to us, they do this thing like that, and they'll announce, you know, five knots, 10 knots, whatever the case is. We had this one jump one time, a nighttime jump, couldn't see anything. It was pitch black outside. Doors open to the plane. This huge gust of wind just draws in. It's freezing cold. And it's like a minute away. You know, they yell, one minute, we all get ready. Uh, crew chief goes to the jump master, five knots. Jump master and us, five knots. Listen, I don't know if there was a huge gust of wind or if they just wanted to <laughs> jump us. We jumped out of that plane and we were on the ground within like 10 seconds because the wind was just like. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it had to be like 20 knots. At least. Oh my God. We were in, out of the bird in the ground so fast. It, it was people got injured, people fell on the trees. It, it was horrible. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Have you seen anybody hit Humvees? My buddy was in um, Ranger Bat, mm-hmm. and he's like, he had a jump when he was with 
275, and then he went to 175 later in his career. But he's like, dude, I, I literally, I had no, mm-hmm. I had no way out. And he landed, he hit, he hit the Humvee, like rolled over it. His like hips destroyed. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Not Humvees. I've seen trees though all the time. Okay. I had funny story. I actually landed. It wasn't a big tree. It was like a 50, nah, like a 10 foot tree. I landed right on that thing in the middle of the drop zone. Why there's a pine tree in the middle of the drop zone? <laughs> I don't know. It was the one tree that one you tree found. That I landed on. It was pitch black outside. <laughs> I couldn't even see it. So, did anybody make you jump with a uh, slice of cherry pie or no? Uh, it's tradition. Okay. You absolutely have to. You put a cherry pie in each one of your pockets. Second you land on the drop zone, whatever side you landed on, you take it out of your shoulder pocket, your pants pocket. You scoop up the dirt from the drop zone. The second you landed, and you eat that entire pie with the drop zone dirt and everything. Why? It's just, it's just tradition. So when you, you're considered a cherry, I don't know if I can say it in the podcast, but popping <laughs> your cherry, you know, that's what it's it's considered. You know, oh, you're popping oh, your cherry, okay, you're a cherry you. jumper, you know. All right, that, that makes more sense, then I guess. Yeah. So you bring you bring cherry pie with you, dude. There's so many. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's so much better than a party college, because it is a party. But it's then you have all these other random things tied into yeah. it. It's the world's largest and greatest fraternity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. You know. <laughs> It's such a dumpster fire. <laughs> That's awesome. Dude, you gotta, there's gotta be, here's the thing about Greenlight Brewing, like, you can always touch on history. Mm-hmm. That's, of course, gonna be a staple, but that's kind of like a fine line between do I dive into this and make a beer talking about this aspect or do I leave it alone so that only those that know know? Yeah, so that's the funny thing is, if I ever made Greenlight Brewing a reality, my vision of it would be to like quote unquote make a safe place for veterans you know I want them to walk in and feel like they're at the barracks again like barracks on a Friday night there with all the dudes regardless of branch rank MOS whatever the case is their job um, is in the military like I want them to feel like at home and that they can like hang out their dark sense of humor can be showcased and all that kind of stuff <laughs> you know I often thought about I made a seltzer a while ago I called the silver silver bullet you know, because if you pass out in the in the military, you get exhaustion. They stick a thermometer up your butt, and we, we nicknamed it the Silver Bullet. So they say drink water, or else you're going to get a Silver Bullet. So that's why I made a seltzer called Silver Bullet. <laughs> you know, and I know only a select few people are going to ever understand right. that, but that's kind of like the fun behind it. You know, like if you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, do I even drink this? Right. <laughs> do you have a beer that you don't like making because it's either difficult or it's just I don't know. That you just don't like to taste? I don't know. I, I've never... I only brew beer that I like. Sure. Um, like, what are your thoughts? You said that you kind of like more traditional stuff. Yeah. So do you do Pilsners and stuff like that, too? I, the lager world's a totally different world. Right. Okay. It, it's it's an ale. I can ferment it at, you know, 68 degrees, whatever the case is, for 14 days, and I have a, a beer. Now, if we're going traditional lager, we got a cold fermented around like 48 to 55 degrees for a couple of days, raise it up temperature, let it rest, cool it back down, let it lager for a couple of months. I'm going to start getting into the lager game. I just don't ever have the patience. Sure. Like, you know, I don't have the patience for a lot of beer sit for two months in lager and condition. Um, but I love drinking lagers. I'll drink them all day. Well, because you only have one fermenter, right? I have a few fermenters, but okay. I use one like primarily like, all the time because sure. of the abilities I can do with it. Uh, I have other ones. I have a few chest freezers that I can kind of control the fermentation temperature with and whatnot. Um, but I just kind of stick to one fermenter. So for now, at least. Cherry wheat's a lager, yeah? Sam Adams? No, oh, it's, it's an ale. It's an ale? Yeah. Damn, that's why I like it so much. Okay. 
because there's um, there's like only a few lagers. There's like lager, traditional, mm-hmm. pilsner, and then what's the other? There's only like one more, right? Like so, traditional type of beer that's a lager. Right. Like well, there's a lot. Like lagers, lot. There's two styles of beer, right? Lagers and ale. Yeah. Ales are like your stouts, your IPAs, your blonde ales, your pale ales, your saisons, your Belgian ales, English, all that kind of stuff. Your lagers are more like German pilsners, Doppelbachs, Schwartz beers, Czech pilsners. American, like Budweiser's a lager, Bud Light's a lager. So that's why a lot of beer people, some would call them snobs, but like the educated people for beer always try, if a brewery opens, they're like, let me have your Pilsner. Yeah. Let me have, and they pick that because that's the, on the lager side and it's, it takes longer to do and it's like more challenging, right? Yeah, so they're can. just like, this is basically the test is like your Pilsner compared to everybody else's Pilsner. So like, these IPAs, like that sour that I gave you guys, I could have traditionally made it like to a Blondale and then not liked it, then just put fruit, fruit puree in it. And I'm going to hide all those like in, imperfections, all those bad flavors. Mm-hmm. But like I brew a lager, there ain't no hiding nothing behind that thing. Okay. You know, like it's usually like one or two malts, very little hops just to balance it out. And then like a lager, you use a clean strain. And like you'll notice like if it's not clean, like literally crispy, like then there's either wasn't lagered too long or there's like some imperfection in that beer to like it, it should be crispy like when they say crispy boys like yeah it, it should be pretty crispy like especially like a czech pilsner but to that end though isn't it w- would you say it's more difficult to mess it up if you just do what you're supposed to do like i feel like with so many ingredients going into an ale mm-hmm. you can easily add too much and mess it up right whereas a lager it might take longer you might know if it sucks easily, but it shouldn't be that difficult to mess up, right? Because there's only so many ingredients. Right. The lager is in the fermentation game. Okay. So, like, there, there's some beers where, like, it's like it's a full beer. Like, sure. If your if your grain bill, like all the grains you use and the hops you use, isn't good, and like your fermentation's not good, it's not it's not gonna be a good beer. But like lagers, like. Okay, we all know it's going to be like usually one mall, like a Pilsner mall or a Pale mall, and maybe like a little bit to increase head retention and body. Like one hop, it's nothing crazy. And then just the yeast. Uh, if your fermentation is not good with a lager, what you have to do is call a diacetyl rest. So diacetyl is a precursor in yeast that gives off like caramel, butter popcorn, mm-hmm. uh, butterscotch flavors. It, it happens in pretty much every single yeast. You have to give it a call a diacetyl rest. If you don't give that lager like a traditional diacetyl rest, that diacetyl is going to stay stuck in that beer. Mm. And you're literally going to have like a kettle corn, like butterscotch pilsner. You know? I mean, that almost sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> it sounds good until you actually like try, try it. Diet. Yeah. Like go to the store, buy butterscotch flavoring, buy a Bud Light and just put some butterscotch flavoring in it. I guarantee you're going to dump it. Got it. Because, like, if caramel's in whiskey, I'm happy. Right. Not the same. No. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Me and Derek are, like, drooling. You're yeah, like, dude, it's like, trash. <laughs> like, what are we talking about? It tastes like oak, vanilla, yeah. caramel. It's like, whoa. Yeah. Let's do this. It's like one of our name stakes. <laughs> <laughs> but you can mess it. So that's an aspect where yeah. you can really mess it up. Yeah, you, you can mess up a lager pretty easily in the fermentation game. I gotcha. That's kind of why I've stuck away from them a little bit is patience, one, and two, just, like, I don't want to sit here and watch this beer for like I want to just set the beer at 68 and just let it go for two weeks. You yeah. want the green light, baby? Yeah, I don't want to just sit there and let it go for 55 and next day come and raise the temperature to 58 and raise the temperature two days later to 60 and like slowly raise the temperature to let it rest. <laughs> so 
this obviously isn't your full-time job. Do you still work? Oh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. What would be your ideal situation? Is it, like, don't obviously say where you work, but where where do you see Greenlight Brewing going? Is this something, we talked about it in the beginning, is this something that you want to have a brick and mortar, or is this just a fun hobby now to trade? Right now it's a fun hobby. In, in five years, who knows? Mm-hmm. I would absolutely love to make it a, a real a real place and a real business. It would be an absolute dream of mine. Uh, luckily, I'm in the trade industry. I'm an electrician by trade. Okay. So, like, luckily, I would be able to save some pennies and do a lot of the work myself. Sure. Um, but the thing is, I, I want to do it right if I do do it. You know, I don't want to, like, rush into things just because I want to open up Greenlight Brewing and make it, like, an actual establishment. I've had people message me all the time and say, hey, where can I buy your beer from? And I always offer them a free growler fill or if I have bottles, hey, I got bottles for you, you know. If you want to come pick them up or I can drop them off to you, you know, you're mm-hmm. more than welcome to come get them. Um, I've often thought about like actually going down the gypsy brewing route and like getting a license and, and trying to contact a brewery and renting out a fermenter space. Can, can you describe that a little bit? What is gypsy brewing? So gypsy brewing is like, uh, we'll use like Russ at Winnie Brews for hypothetical reasons. Like say I messaged Russ and I said, hey man, like I, I'm getting license and paperwork done and I'm getting approved for this day. Like green light brewing is going to be like a real thing. I don't want to open my own spot yet. Can I use your equipment and brew under your license? And then I'll rent out your fermenter space. Uh, I'll brew all the beer myself and then distribute it myself as well. Mm. You can do that. There's a lot. Of, there's this guy in New York. His name's Nightmare Brewing. He does that. He's like a very established brewery, but he's a gypsy brewer. He just travels around New York and just brews at spots that let mm. him brew. And he distributes nationwide. That's pretty sick. Yeah. He's a nationwide gypsy. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Uh, so what is the what is the brewery scene out in Lockport? That's where you said, right? Lockport? That's where I grew That's where it's from. Oh, okay. And you're in Tonawanda now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So if you were to open up a new brewery, yeah. where would you where would your ideal spot be? Would it be back up in Lockport? Because mm-hmm. it seems like downtown Buffalo has a lot. I'll tell you Hurdle Ave. Hurdle Ave, yeah. I've done a few jobs on Hurdle Ave as an electrician. And, like, I've been on that main part of Hurdle Ave, and I've been like, dude, this is an untapped location right A hundred percent. You got restaurants and coffee. And you got shops. You got people walking. You got shops, people walking downtown. There's ice cream shops, a brewery. Like, why wouldn't I put mm-hmm. that? You got walking traffic. You have neighborhoods. You have, like, a pretty much a slower driving street so people could see, like, okay, you know, I could park on the side of the road, go get a pint, and then walk next door to, sure. you know, whatever burger company and get a cheeseburger or whatever right. the case is you know that's hurdle ave would be like my i would try to find a spot and like a mainstay on hurdle yeah. ave that that's kind of refreshing to hear because i feel like more people now are going for the destination brewery route like brazen brewing out in depew and first line out in, in orchard park like they're so far away from the beaten path that if their beer sucks which they don't they make good beer but if their beer sucks you're not having walk-in traffic yeah you that's a destination that you have to actually pick up and go to and do stuff like where if you're on even, hurdle even windy yeah absolutely he's even in the middle windy. of nowhere yeah absolutely yeah but not. like dude he's got a cult following yeah because it's good it's good yeah it's good right. juice but like if you're on hurdle not saying your beer doesn't have to be good mm-hmm. but you have a better chance of succeeding because you have the walk in traffic right. and you have people that might not necessarily be going to hurdle for your brewery just walking and grabbing right. a beer quick and so many people are sick of elmwood yeah and you also kind of, I, I've kind of looked at, like, <clears throat> what I want my scene to be, you know? Like, do I, A, want, like, the, the group of, like, fresh 21, 21, 22-year-old kids, like, coming in and just getting hammered and, like, kind of destroying my establishment? Like, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I want maybe that, that husband-wife who, they're coming here to grab a pint before they go to dinner. 
you know, or vice versa. They're coming here after dinner for a couple beers or whatever the case is. And the husband's an absolute savage. Right. Like, that's like, <laughs> that's like what I, I, obviously everyone would be welcome, but I'm saying, like, <laughs> right. I have to, like, you have to think about, like, who I want at my, like, yes. black place. Like, I would never put a place, like, near UB or, like, Kinesias or anything right. like that for fake IDs and, like, a bunch of college, like, punks, I guess you could say, you know? Sure. Like, so, being a homebrew, though, you can't sell your beer, right? right? So, if there's somebody listening to us that wants to somehow support you, yeah. how, how can they go about doing that? Because they can't just buy your beer. Right. I mean, I have merch online. Okay. Uh, they can buy. They can, That directly supports me as well. Last year, I did a fundraiser. I got some t-shirts made, and I did a fundraiser. Literally every single dollar of it. I spent my own money getting the design made. And the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I got a T-shirt design made for that, and every single donation went to um, was it uh, Project Twenty Two or something like that. So I did that, which was pretty cool because I think I made like like three hundred dollars. Oh, nice. People got donated to, which I mean, at the end of the day, when you think about it, I'm a small Instagram account and people three hundred dollars worth, like I was pretty impressed by. Yeah, it. no, that's huge. Sure. Um, and then people just follow my Instagram, you know, and if they like ever see a beer that I post that they want to try, or they like, okay, this looks pretty good. Like, feel free to message me. I'm more than welcome to fill up mm-hmm. bottles for you or fill your growler. He'll give you the details of it. Yeah. I mean, I give out beer for free literally all the time. So, so. you can do that? You can give out beer for free? Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's America, Derek. Well, I, I didn't know with the, with the whole beer industry if you can just give out beer for free. Yeah, I do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, if his Instagram account is down, <laughs> now you know why. But no, that's, that's cool. It has been down a couple times. <laughs> I got it? shadow banned a few times. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just because of, the, like, historical the, context? Yeah, because I was putting Nazis, like, like in the history, I was putting, like, you know, they fought Nazis. Well, they don't like the word Nazis. So oh. I got shadow banned, like, yeah. Freaking Zuckerberg. Th- I know, seriously. You got to roll with him now because he's training with, uh, what's his face? He's training with Israel Adesanya. No. You see that? Training? Yeah, because him and Elon Musk are going to fight each other. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fight. Elon's just going to show up and just, like, destroy him. I'm Dude, sure. Zuckerberg is a black belt in, ju- in judo or jujitsu or something. He cheated in his last competition, and then he literally, like, paid the ref off to, like, get the victory. He's training with Adesanya and the other guy, Verchenko or something like that? That's cool. You can grapple all you want. Elon's just going to punch him once in the face, and then he won't know what to do. We'll talk about that during a weekly episode, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I'm Team Elon. <laughs> that dude's I mean, a college so, nerd so who created a network like to hang Zuckerberg, out with friends. Like, just join like we did. Yeah. <laughs> just there, there's your network. You don't have to create an app, nerd. So, uh, social media work. What's your handle? Greenlight Brewing. Okay. Either Greenlight Brewing or Greenlight Brewing Co. I don't remember. Yeah, it's Greenlight Brewing. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw it in the thumbnail. But yeah. do you, are you on Facebook or do you have no, a website? Just no. Instagram. Just Instagram. Yeah. Easier way to do it's it. It's a way to do yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, too much, you know. Yeah. So would next for you be like getting uh, going back to a five barrel system or a five gallon system, not five barrel, but a five gallon system so you can produce more beer or are you just staying at the three and a half? I'm just staying at three and a half for now. I I have no reason to switch over. I have some buddies who have like 10 gallon systems and stuff like that. And like we're brewing a 10 gallon batch like next week. So I'll have cans of, you know, bunch of cans of an IPA soon. So I can bump off their systems for now. But, yeah, you have the resources and the yeah. connections if, if you needed to make more. Yeah, I, I love the three and a half gallon. Yeah. One, everything's cheaper. Ingredients are cheaper. Brewing is cheaper. And two, it, it lets me to brew more because I'm going through beer faster than what would be for a five gallon. So, yeah. yeah. Sure. 
Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming to sit down. Is there anything else that you want to touch on that we didn't get to? No, I don't think so. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Absolutely appreciate it. Go follow him, Greenlight Brewing, on Instagram. And if he's got some beer, uh, shoot him a DM. He'll, he'll talk to you about it and then maybe give you a, a bottle. But thanks, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done